Hello, everyone. Welcome to Rasha's World. Today, we have a special guest, Sarah Armore. Welcome to Rasha's World. Thank you so much. Wonderful. So um, how would you describe yourself briefly to our audience here to get us started? Sure. So I am a passionate person who cares a whole lot about the well-being of all humans, but especially the youngest humans in the world who are, as you know, suffering from an all-time low in mental health. And it's not just because of the pandemic. There have been a whole lot of contributing factors. So one of my personal goals is to help bring more joy back to these children's lives. And we as parents have a huge influence on that. So everything I do right now is centered around how we can nurture a peaceful, connection-based relationship with our children. So not only can they thrive, but we can also feel pretty good about our own parenting in the meantime. Yeah, that's wonderful. So your book is... um... Peaceful Discipline, Story Teaching, Brain Science, and Better Behavior. And uh, there we go. So I uh, discipline is important, but it's a peaceful type. So that's one thing. You're talking about the brain as well. And I want to dive into that. I'm very passionate about that. And better behavior, not just by the children, but also the parents. So let's get started. Exactly. Yes. I'm so glad that you noticed that because you're right. This is not about behavior modification for our children. This is not about how to control children or get them to do things. That's not this book. This is, as I mentioned, going to be 100% connection based so that we mutually want to do well for each other. We always, when we live with somebody else, we want to get along. Adults do, children do. So everything that I have in here is hopefully going to nurture that relationship rather than be about controlling anybody. Yeah, and it's also a communication. It's a sort of communication of understanding where the other person is, where they're coming from, what they're struggling with. And and we tend to forget that. And I think, and as a parent myself, we assume they're just like us, but they're not because their brain is developing. The, the way of thinking is very different. Again, not fault of their own because that's growth, but we see them as mini adults often. And we see like things, we take things way too seriously at times when we see it as disobeying what I'm telling you or, or criticizing me and you can't do that. And we have to be very careful with that. Would you agree? Oh, completely. Yes, we know things that prior generations couldn't have possibly known because they didn't have the brain science to research these things. But we know now that the brain doesn't fully develop until between ages 25 and 30, which is a huge paradigm shift for a lot of us. And you know what? I'm in my 40s and I still make mistakes all the time. My brain is clearly not done developing. So why would I have this double standard thinking a five-year-old or a seven-year-old or a 12-year-old could possibly do things that their brain literally has not grown enough to allow them to do? It's a huge paradigm shift. There's a lot of like developing pruning going on. And so when when they forget things, and this was something that I've learned through these podcasts, that people tell me, well, it's not their fault, because they're actually really are forgetting and they're not aware of it. It's just part of their development. And that that extension to uh, age 25, or even further, which is a lot of students I work with are university students. And I'm thinking, in a way, you know, that's the same boat, that's the same situation. So it's not always uh, you know uh, a slight a personal thing that they're, they're forgetting their stuff it's just 
part of their their natural way of being, basically. Exactly. Yes. And we have to remember there's a beautiful quote by Dr. Ross Green, and it's simply this kids do well when they can. And that's really a, such a poignant summary, because as I mentioned, children always want to do well for us, just like we don't wake up and say, I think I'm going to ruin my kid's day today. I think I'm going to yell at three o'clock. And, you know, that's not what we do as adults. And yet it's this dynamic of the relationship where every single day we have highs and we have lows. And the goal is to make it more of an equilibrium. So it's, you know, the highs maybe aren't quite as high, but the lows also aren't as low. And we keep bringing up our average to the point where it just feels good to be in each other's presence most of the time. That's the end goal. And we want to keep it real. I think that that's very important too, because when we go through life, it's really hard to be authentic often, because when we go to work, I mean, you, uh, there are certain things you can't say, you have to kind of project a different kind of persona image. But then at home, I think it's hugely important for you to really be yourself as a parent. And as you say, vulnerable, accepting mistakes, but that also a form of modeling for our kids. They say, okay, uh, I can be real as well. But if we are pretending, then that's what we're teaching them and they're modeling on us. And then that's not the right message. Exactly. And you're touching on so many important topics right now. The brain is at a subconscious level, always searching to see, is the situation safe? Can I trust everything around me to know that I am not in physical or emotional danger? It's called neuro neuroception or interoception, depending on which perspective you have, but it's nothing we do at a conscious level most of the time. And part of the importance of authenticity, and I actually do talk a lot about that in the book, is kids know when we are being inauthentic. If I say, I'm fine, I'm, I'm fine, clearly I'm not. Yeah. Their nervous system and their brain is saying the words don't match the vibe that my parent has. So I don't know what to do with this. So instead, when we model authenticity and nonviolent communication strategies, we make it okay to not be fine sometimes. But the difference is when we are not fine, we express it in ways that do no harm. And I outline a lot of what that looks like, including emotion coaching, but it doesn't really start with, oh, child, I see you're looking angry right now. Many children will not respond well to that for good reason. I wouldn't want another adult to do that to me either. <laughs> but if I start with, oh, you know what? I had a really tough day at work and I have some residual stress. You might see that coming out in me, but here's what I'm gonna do to stay peaceful with you. And then the child's brain says, ah, I thought I picked up on something here and I was right. Now I know how to recognize it. Plus my adult has modeled for me that it's okay to not be okay. And here's what they're gonna do about it to feel more peaceful and still have a loving relationship with me. It's really powerful stuff. And children naturally respect their parents, especially you know if, if, if we're good parents and we try to be good parents. I mean, that's like very difficult to do, but it's you know, a, a learning process as, 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 as we are experiencing through this, this kind of journey. But I think they naturally respect us. So it's that idea when we think like if we make a mistake, they're going to think less of us. They, they're, we lose our status as this parent who knows everything. But that's not true. They will want to be, again, as, as human 
as we can be and say, you know what, there's certain things I don't know, and um, I'm going to work on it. Yeah, and that's totally okay. I mentioned in the book that literally when I told my daughter that I was writing a book about parenting, and she looked at me ever so innocently and said, is your book about how to make mistakes? Because you're really good at that. And <laughs> I cracked up. I was like, well, actually, it's not. But thanks, I think, sort of, you know. But I, I do try to be very real in this book because so many of the parenting books out there, to their credit, they're full of fantastic information. But I wanna know about the times where somebody does have a rough day. I wanna know about the times when we make a mistake, how do we repair from it? How do we make things right again? So I've included a lot of personal anecdotes about the things I've done wrong, in addition to here's the better reason, you know, the better way to handle things and why as well. Mm -hmm. and, and and taking criticism with a grain of salt i mean we are we're always on the defensive uh, throughout our days you know and so so when we come home and our, our, our child criticizes us and we might uh, react uh, in a way that's not appropriate and maybe in an angry outburst and in often cases i found uh, my my son has been correct in a lot of his observations and his criticism and it annoys me that i have these flaws but then i have to deal with that so how can we deal with that this kind of um, anger that we have or being on the defensive or constantly being on alert and try to avoid that within the context of the home at least. Yeah, I love that question. It's so real. And I've definitely been there too, where my daughter will call me out on something if I am not behaving in a way that feels right to her. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, I actually really love this. Oftentimes when we have a big feeling of defensiveness come up, mm -hmm. it's because there's some truth in it. Yes. And that's a hard truth for me to share. And I don't want anyone listening to this to feel criticized by it. But if, for example, your child walked up to you and my child walked up to me and said, your hair is blue today, we'd be like, hmm, no, it's actually not. But I have no emotional reaction to that. That's just like, wow, that's really random. And that's not yeah. true. So I don't have to take it personally. Yeah. But if our child walked and said, me today and I'm feeling really lonely you're not a good parent mm. ouch okay well now I'm feeling defensive because I know I cooked for you I kept you alive you know all these things but my big feeling is information where I can say you know what is it true I can ask myself that question <laughs> is it true Yes and no. You know what? It's true. I've been really busy today. I've been distracted. I haven't been emotionally or physically present. You asked me to play with you and I said I would, but then I got busy doing whatever. I can see why you would feel upset and lonely. That makes sense to me. So I can take the criticism as information and validate the child's experience without having to take on that additional zinger that they gave me, which is you're a bad parent, I can say, you know what? And I might even say this to my child. I hear you saying that you feel like I'm a bad parent. I can see why you'd feel that way because you're hurting right now. And then to myself, I can say, I also know that I love you more than life itself. And I would move heaven and earth to support you in every way that I can. I know that at my core, I am a good parent who happens to be having a rough day and I can give myself grace and I don't have to take in every bit of information as if it's fact, yeah. but I can explore it with curiosity. And oftentimes that big feeling was exactly the messenger that my parenting body needed to say, all right, my child is having a need and I can find some ways to show up for my child now. 
Mm-hmm. I, I find a lot of times it's the pause that helps too, just kind of waiting to process it. What is my child trying to communicate? What is he or she communicating? And what is what they're trying? What's the underlying current there? Why are they saying this? So if we instinctively respond or just react to it, we miss out on a lot of information that's given there. Whether it's true or not, that's another thing. But we have to take the time to 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 really process it. And what you mentioned curiosity, I think that's really important. It's like, why does my child feel this way right now? Or why do they say this? And try to then analyze and say, okay, in some parts they're right, in some parts they might be wrong. But that actually doesn't matter because they're trying to communicate with that. That's a form of communication too. Yes, exactly. And that pause is so important because we know from the perspective of brain science that we have approximately six seconds between receiving an input and how we react to it to determine whether we are going to react peacefully or not. Mm -hmm. That six second pause in between, although it's not very long, it's just long enough to say, oh, you know what, I need to take a breath. Or I need to go in the other room for a second and cool down, but I'm going to come right back. And we can do something productive with those six seconds so we don't just flip out at our kid. Yeah, yeah. And and we tend to. We tend to flip out on, on, on any anybody. And I think that kind of also shows how we treat ourselves and that is hugely important too because it's just kindness uh, has we have to be kind to ourselves to be kind to others there's that kind of connection there and when when I see people who do flip and on me too and other people I think you probably are not treating yourself well and there's something you know to be learned from this Yes, yes, exactly. You know, and the concept of self-care sounds so cliche. Many of us even shy away from the very idea of it because, you know what, I don't have the ability to get on a plane and go have a girls weekend with my friends this weekend. That's just not my reality. In fact, even a bubble bath, probably not. I've got dishes to do, right? But self-care might look like, you know what, I have a nice warm cup of tea and I'm going to sit here for 30 seconds and just breathe with my cup of tea. And that is a micro moment of something I can do that's nourishing for my body, spirit and mind. And then I have a little bit more to give to the relationship with my child or anybody else I'm around. And that's not being selfish. I mean, a lot of people are confused with that. I mean, you do care about others, but you have to take care of yourself too, to be able to care for others. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and part of it too is really coming back to yes, to the extent that children's brains are wired really differently from ours because they're just, they're growing, they're developing, as you said. But we also have some things in common with even the teeniest, tiniest babies. You know, sometimes when a baby is upset, we say, are they tired? Are they thirsty? Are they hungry? Are they uncomfortable in any way? But then sometime, usually around age two or three, we stop going through that checklist and we just assume, oh, they're malicious, you know, oh, they're they're out to get me, whatever. Yeah, they're out to get me, yeah. <laughs> as I mentioned, I'm in my 40s and when I'm tired, hungry, thirsty, uncomfortable in any way, I don't behave optimally. Sometimes I really need to go get a snack and then my attitude improves. We have to keep in mind these fundamental versions of self-care because they directly contribute to our ability to feel peaceful with anybody, much less ourselves. 
Yeah, so and you mentioned peaceful and th that combination between peaceful and peaceful discipline, peace and discipline. I think that's very interesting because our idea of discipline is something that's like put on to others, we force them, we punish them, but that's not how discipline works or it wouldn't would work much better if we have a different approach which you are suggesting here. Exactly. Yeah. And that's part of the reason I specifically chose this title, because when I say the word discipline, most people do, by default, go into what's the punishment? How are we going to make this person feel bad? But I want to very actively draw attention to discipline means to teach. And how can I peacefully teach my child? And I've got all sorts of ways outlined in the book, but coming back to that core question of when my child is acting out or when I'm acting out, no matter who it is, I feel that, okay, this is an opportunity for my child to learn something, but do I want to teach them in a way that is going to help the connection in our relationship? Or do I want to make them feel worse for their behavior? Mm -hmm. If I'm coming back to that latter option, it is not peaceful discipline. It's not peaceful at all. But when I come back to how can I teach in a way that will help them learn in a way where it is actually more likely to stick in their brain because they feel emotionally safe, they feel emotionally connected, and they have an anchor. And I talk about anchors a bit in the book and particularly through stories. When they have that anchor that feels peaceful to them, that's actually the optimal setting for their learning to take place. Yeah, I've always felt like discipline might work for the moment when you're around because they're scared of you and it's built on fear. But then when you're not around, when they're with their friends or when they move out, they're going to engage in those behaviors. So you never you didn't teach them anything. It just kind of like while I'm around, don't do it. But then you do all the bad stuff when I'm not around. But in, instead of incorporating that into them and showing them why we're doing this and with a gentle approach and you have uh, your certified gentle parenting master trainer which i really like and we can talk about what that entails but uh, yeah what would you say to that sure yeah well you know i actually have a a section in the book about different punishments and why they don't work long term to your point many of them do seem to work short short term yeah. because they drive behavioral change but be it punitive timeouts, corporal punishment, you know, all of the many, quote unquote, traditional parenting methods that some people say work, I actually have the science and the research to say, here's why it looks like it works, but how it actually backfires in the long run. Because let's take, for example, um, you know, lying, I have a section in lying on lying in the book, when a child lies, there is some research that says, when the child is punished for lying, it's not that they stop lying. They just actually become better liars. Yeah, yeah. When the child lies and the adult finds out and the adult approaches them with a peaceful approach, hey, I have a different understanding of the situation. Let's talk through it. That child doesn't feel ashamed of the lie. And instead, they feel more emotionally safe to come clean on whatever happened and to be more honest with their parents on an ongoing basis in the future. So I've got all that research in there, but it's super interesting to see how punishments backfire mm -hmm. and what we need to do instead. Yeah. And as far as being a master trainer in, in gentle parenting and conscious parenting, I currently train people all over the world on how to have these connection based relationships with their children based on a combination of 
everything from neuroscience, attachment theory. Part of my background is improv comedy, and we absolutely need to be able to laugh as parents. And you know, all of my other corporate training that I bring into my teaching, as well as the the book itself, it really just looks at the whole human adult and child, as opposed to just these little snippets of behavior. I love improv, and that's something I've uh, I've tried out myself years ago, and that stuck with me. And um, it helps with teaching uh, because it it kind of builds that that kind of confidence of like I can deal with any situation, and uh, there is no script. And so I think that is hugely important for everything you're saying that. We can't give you the manual of how to be a good parent. It's we can give you some of the tools, but then you have to improvise. You have to adjust it. You have to fit it to that moment. And um, just the idea of also lies and honesty. Um, I, I'm I'm beginning to understand that much more. That there is actually it's not a simple cut like this uh, being honest and uh, and lying because um sometimes you need to and some situations require it just to give an example with my son to say okay complete honesty yes uh we're honest at home but then he goes and says to his teacher i didn't do the homework because i think it's a waste of time and it's pretty boring and i say okay no you, it's good that you're honest but you can't be honest in that situation and I think improv really, really teaches to, to see those boundaries. How do I react to this situation? Yeah, yeah, that is a tricky one for sure, because you're right, you want to celebrate the honesty and yet people have feelings and the teacher might be like, ouch, I spent hours coming up with that assignment, trying to make it enjoyable for you. And this is the thanks I get, right? So, you know, in this case, I think it would be fantastic if your son could say something that is still authentic, but focused on himself, which was, I didn't get the homework done because I was having a hard time finding something that connected with me about it. Mm -hmm. you know, okay, so you find that you need to have a way that this applies to your life then, you know, suddenly the teacher is curious about what are you needing for the homework to feel accessible to you. Mm -hmm. But he didn't have to say anything like, you know, like what he did say, mm -hmm. because, but, but he still kept it authentic. He still kept it honest. He can say, I didn't do the homework because I, I was having trouble connecting to what, how this would apply. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's, that's valid. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it's, it's again those kind of challenges that that's how they learn about life. I mean, there are like it's it's not completely it's not being dishonest when you say something when you had uh, when you go for a job interview. There are certain things that you would say and put it in a different light, you know. So I, I I think that kind of balancing act is really important. So in many ways, we want to train our kids for that because that's gonna be the future. They would have to deal with it and if they have to feel safe, I think that is hugely important, safe at home. And then outside, they have to deal with difficulties and obstacles. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And just to take the lying example one step further, it's really interesting to know about little kids brains, little kids essentially don't lie, period. And I know there are some people who are like, what, my kid just said he's a dinosaur. I know he's not a dinosaur. I gave birth to a human. I was there, right. But when children are in active play mode, because their brains do work in play, they literally have a hard time separating fact from fiction sometimes. So if your child is saying, I'm a dinosaur, they believe in that moment that they are a dinosaur. That is their reality because their play is so real to them. So our job using improv as the basis is, yes, you're a dinosaur and you know what? It's time to get in the car for dinosaur school. 
you just say yes and we're going to move yeah. along with your story yeah. yes dinosaurs need snacks too come have some you know some plants you know for lunch whatever it might be but we can still work with the child, but yeah. they're not lying. They're just working with what they have at their appropriate developmental stage. Mm -hmm. And if they do, I mean, we want to think about it. lying is actually takes intelligence where you have to make up something and and make sure it uh, it works with whatever else you're saying. So, you know, not get get caught. And that's always shown as a sign of intelligence. So instead of like seeing it like as, as something bad, you can see, well, you know, my, my, my child is intelligent. But we want to avoid that as much as we can because we don't want to have a place of lies and uh, deception, right? But it's it's not that bad again. That's how I'm seeing things too, beginning to appreciate the nuances between that, the truth and the lies and so on. Exactly, yeah. And to your point a little while ago, we really need to come back to what are we modeling? <laughs> you know, are we modeling honesty in day-to-day -day life? You know, if I go to... Um, yeah, let me think of an example off the top of my head. Let's say, um, let's say grandma mails a package and it's a present for me, but I actually don't really like it. So I donate it to somebody else. And then grandma comes to visit and says, oh, did you get that thing? If my child observes me saying, oh yes, I love it so much. It's right upstairs. You know, my child is gonna go, well, you just lied to grandma. And so that I guess that means lying is okay. Whereas if I am authentic and, you know, with all due respect to grandmas everywhere, if I say instead something like, oh, you know what? Yes, I got it. And it was so incredibly thoughtful of you to send that, you know, I ended up exchanging it for a different color because, you know, I, I already have a lot of things in that color, whatever, you know, it's something that is honest, but the child sees that we are still able to communicate in an honest way that is also kind Yes, yes, kind and with empathy and uh, showing understanding. Yes, absolutely. And would that be also the the teaching or the story part, would you say, of like kind of a playful way of, of playing with those situations and uh, explaining it to them in, in, in a matter that really gets to, to the child? It certainly can be, yeah. The story teaching can happen in a, in a couple of different ways. Very briefly, mm -hmm. stories are how we learn. We have a part of the brain called the hippocampus and the hippocampus is essentially the brain's storyteller. It's how I will rem how I will remember our conversation two months from now. It'll be, oh, it was that really nice guy I talked to. He had a map on the wall behind him. I can picture that map and that's what's gonna stick with me. Oh, and we talked about lying. Now the details are coming to me because I have a whole visual memory of our situation here. Whereas if somebody two months from now said, you know, oh, uh, tell me about that podcast that you did on November or whatever, I don't remember what I did that day. It, it's not going to hold the same meaning to me. So our brain is always working to have an anchor or to ascribe meaning to the different events that have transpired in our lives. So with children, we can tell stories either based on fact or fiction, or we can even get them from books. It's all good. But we can say, here's something coming up that I want to prepare you for. Let me tell you a story about it. Maybe we're going to a new city for vacation. Let's get a story about it and read about it, creating an anchor for emotional safety for the child. We can tell stories that affect behavior as well. You know, we're going to a big family wedding. You've never been to a wedding before. Let's read a story or I'll tell you a story about what to expect at a wedding. So, you know, 
not to be jumping up and down on the chairs and you know yelling when it's time for the bride and groom to say their vows, right? We can do stories proactively to help situations go the way we want them to go. We can tell stories in the moment. So I've got an example in the book about, you know, a parent walks into a child's bedroom, the child is making a colossal mess. And instead of yelling, how does the parent kind of get playful, sort of with that improv thing? How can we walk in and say, oh my goodness, there's an active tornado. Maybe we pick up a couple of, you know, articles of clothing and start throwing it around ourselves just to get the child's attention. And I just made that up, by the way. And how do we get them to pay attention to what we're saying so that we can reconnect and teach. And that way, the next time the child starts throwing something, we can be like, hey, remember the tornado? Oh, right. We had a big cleanup after the tornado. So it anchors it again. And we can tell stories, last but not least, retroactively. Something has gone wrong, either for the child or in our relationship, but we want the child to learn from it Maybe it's something that was hard for them. Maybe they had a really bad day at school. Maybe they had a bad you know, relationship with a friend. Maybe they did something, maybe they lied. Maybe they did something they shouldn't have done, but we can tell a story about it to help them create what's called a coherent narrative, which is basically making sense of their story so they can find peace with it rather than carrying around potentially toxic stress and unresolved feelings about whatever situation has transpired. Yeah, that's wonderful. As, as an educator, I'm, I'm curious about, I read about the democratic play-based education and what does that include? I think some of it uh, you just talked about, right? Yeah, yeah. I worked in a preschool for a while with one of the world's leading um, democratic play-based educators. Mm-hmm. And even though the children were between ages two and seven in this class, the teacher starting with day one, and I know a lot of educators' jaws are going to drop when I say this, he had no rules on day one. It was not like, okay, class, here's the list of rules everybody needs to obey. He had no rules whatsoever. But right about day three or so, guess what? Child A bit child B, child B didn't like it. So we have a class meeting and we say, you know what? Does anybody here like being being bitten? And To be very clear, there was no shaming involved. He did it in a very diplomatic and loving way. But you know what? I'm going to guess that nobody here likes being bitten. And the next thing you know, you have a room full of kids like, I don't like being bitten. Me neither. Me neither. All right. Well, let's make an agreement for the rest of the year. Nobody's going to bite anybody. We vote for it. And all the kids were like, I vote for that. So then he wrote it up on the wall. We're not going to bite each other. And when it came up later, he could be like, hey, by the way, remember rule number one up there? Let's go take a look. But it was something that made sense situationally (laughs) where the kids had a reason to care that the rule was there, as opposed to some adult arbitrarily saying, you will all be sitting in your desks at 8.05 a.m. Well, who cares, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. Because when, when we hear the rules, and the first thing that comes to my mind is the rules are there to be broken, you know, that's like, let's go against them. But then when you appreciate them, it's like, no, I like this rule, I want to hold on to it. Let's make sure everybody's holding on to it, because it's for our own good and safety. We appreciate it so much more. So that would really work in my view. 
Yeah, absolutely. And the amazing thing is that this teacher hardly ever had to intervene. It was amazing how often out on the playground when child A went to bite somebody else, you know, child children C, D, and E would come over and be like, hey, hold on. Remember we agreed we're not going to bite? And the kid would be like, oh, yeah, that's right. Thanks. Like it was, <laughs> it was no big deal. It was fascinating. That's wonderful. I want to switch topics here. And I want to talk about your kitten. Is your kitten's name Noodles Macaroni PhD? Is that true? <laughs> yes, that is the name of my kitten. <laughs> okay. Uh, how, how did you come up with that name? That's wonderful. Oh, good question. We're just a goofy family. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no particular reason. We were just brainstorming names before we got her. And, you know, I think we started just talking about objects around the house and you know what lampshade not the best name you know whatever and we were probably having noodles that night and over the next couple of nights we agreed noodles macaroni but I was like you know what let's get a wise kitten who has some good life experience let's give her a PhD what a great way to start out in life right yeah that's wonderful that's that's really good yeah so it, it it shows that playfulness you know and we and that's really important if you want to have joy you have to take time to have fun and not take things way too seriously the moments of being serious but most of the time if you can i think being playful and just playing with your kids not just you know being the strict parent but like engaging and uh, engaging in play with them I yeah for sure and what's really unfortunate is that so many adults actually have trouble accessing play <laughs> many of us when we were children were told that play was frivolous play was a waste of time play was you know what you could do after you did all of the responsible things mm -hmm. so many of us being responsible adults have trouble accessing that playful part of ourselves even with our own children so number one I want to normalize that and number two I want to encourage people to start small if this is not instantly and naturally comfortable to you watch the clock see if you can play with your child for five minutes give yourself a goal just to start building your own comfort level with it and over time you will be amazed that you can indeed learn to feel joyful and playful not only with your children but just for yourself too and life is so much better that way mm -hmm. yeah and in in our household um I'm the playful one. I'm the inner child and my son is the the adult. So it's like it's we reverse things and it's perfectly fine. I, I have no issues with that. Uh, but you do have uh, uh, it's Dandelion Seeds Positive Parenting. So you have a network and a website. Let's talk about that. Sure, sure. Yeah, I started that when my daughter was quite little. So I have all sorts of blog posts to support peaceful parenting. I have um, more than 40 mini courses that people can take and I I want to forewarn everybody. I am super real half the time. I'm in shorts in my backyard, like planes are going over because I just want to come across as real because I am real. I don't want to be like in a business suit somewhere, but I've got the, uh, all sorts of resources available to help parents and caregivers have a more connection-based and joyful relationship with their children. And Dandelion, why did you choose Dandelion? Oh, I love this question. Hardly anybody ever asks it. It oh. is a um, couple of different reasons. Number one, at the time um, that I actually chose the business name, dandelions were my daughter's favorite quote unquote flower. Mm -hmm. So that was part of it. Another part of it is children who are highly sensitive are sometimes called orchid children, just like the orchid plants need some extra care in order for them to flourish those are the orchid children. 
dandelions, of course, will grow anywhere and be fine no matter what. We can like kill them and they come back two days later, right? So dandelions are dandelion children, although I shouldn't have said kill them, forget I said that. Uh, dandelions thrive in every situation. And some children are like that. So when I talk about dandelion seeds, it's how can we plant these concepts of resiliency and thriving and incredible growth in our children. There is nothing wrong with being an orchid child. I was one, I'm raising one. Some of us are just naturally wired to be more sensitive, but to the degree that we can find those dandelion moments where we can just handle life, that's what we want for everyone to help just feel good about you know the, the surroundings that we're in. And I like the root of it, uh, Don de Lyon of, uh, in French. So it, it really? seems like quite common, some, but it is actually pretty forceful. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and I speak French, so I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, so, so the, this the idea of like vulnerability is actually strength. And like it might seem like the person might seem like not very strong, but that's just kind of like a dandelion. It, it has a lot of force within them. And I've seen in experiences where people who, who seem tough they break down under pressure, but then people who thought who would never make it, they become very successful under dire circumstances. So especially I, 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 my son is also highly sensitive, but then when you see how they deal with extreme situations, you go, oh my God, they're so much more mature than, than others who seem like strong and tough. Because yeah. it's a play. It's something that, you know, it's it's pretense often. They're hiding their true feelings and uh, other people. So when you're authentic and that comes through, that shines through in, in difficult moments, especially. It really does. And oftentimes these children become the change makers in the world. They're the ones who don't stand for injustice of any kind. They're the ones who say, we need to do something about this. And they care so deeply that they become passionate and they do such good things in their relationships and with the world at large. These sensitive kids of ours are just an incredible gift. Yeah, I find them true leaders because they have the, the empathy that many leaders are, are lacking, especially when you look around nowadays. And, and being a leader is not being forceful. It's, again, that, that parent, like a strict parent. Yes, it has certain benefits, but it's not really helping the other person. And it might have, again, short-term benefits, but long-term you want to look at uh, a peace, a peaceful method, empathy, understanding. So, which which you are all uh, promoting here, which is wonderful. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, and to those people who might be saying, "Hold on, the world is tough. Don't we need to toughen up our children?" I'm going to say, no, let's soften the world. Let's heal the world from the inside out by raising children who, as the quote goes, children who don't have to recover from their childhoods. The world will get stronger and heal if we have children who felt safe with us first. That's wonderful. So your book, again, is Peaceful Discipline, Story Teaching, Brain Science, and Better Behavior. Thank you so much, Sarah Armour, for being on Arash's World. It's been such a pleasure. Oh, likewise. Thank you so much for having me. Take care.